Hello everyone and welcome to the Women's Golf History Podcast with me, Lauren Beattie, final year PhD student and non-golfing golf geek. Yes, you heard right, I'm not a golfer and until recently I had never even held a golf club. Despite my lack of golf talent, I love the history of the sport and especially the history of the women's game. On this podcast, I shed light on the largely hidden history of women's grassroots golf in Scotland. Each episode welcomes a new guest with a personal connection to the sport and its heritage, exploring the past, present and future of the women's game. Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of the Women's Golf History Podcast. Today I'm joined by members of the St Andrews Ladies Putting Club, the first women's golf club in the world. On this episode I welcome honorary member and club archivist Eve Soulsby. Immediate past president Sylvia Dunn and past secretary Beverly Wilson. Welcome ladies, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, to start off, I was wondering if you could all maybe introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit about your involvement in the Ladies Putting Club um, and a little bit of context maybe for our bit, uh, listeners as well um, as to when you maybe became members of the club. Sylvia, do you want to start? I'm Sylvia Dunn, immediate past president. I joined the club in 2011 when the government passed this bill that equal rights were given to men and women in a club. So the ladies in our club voted that they didn't want the men in because they wanted to run their own club. So some of us got in in 2011. Um, It wasn't long before I was asked to join the committee. I was tournament and match secretary, and I can't remember if it was three years or four years, it could have been four. Then, during that time, we had our 150th anniversary. Then I left the committee for one year, and then I came back on as vice president. (laughs) President for two years, and now I'm one year as immediate past president. Okay, thank you. Well, welcome, Sylvia. And Eve, do you want to... I'm Eve Soulsby, and I joined the club, I think, in 2012 or thereabouts. And three years ago, I was invited to come on the committee and be the archivist for the club, because there hadn't been one before then. And uh, so I've just retired from the committee because I've done my three years, and but I'm still getting to be archivist. Great. And at the end of that, the joy of all joys, I was awarded an honorary membership of the club I just think it's, I'm thrilled to bits. She deserved it because she's done a lot of hard work and she's going to continue to do a lot of hard work. (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. Great. That's great, Eve. And Beverly? Well, I was born in St Andrews and I lived here for the first 18 years of my life. But I left town to go to Edinburgh University and I ended up staying there for 40 years. But I'd always wanted to retire to St Andrews, and that's exactly what I did in 2014. But the history for me was that my mum was a member of the Putting Club, and she absolutely loved it. She raved about it. It was never easy to get into the club. It was always considered rather prestigious, and normally there is a waiting list. So in, in 2006, My mum told me that the list was open and she was putting my name down to become a member, and she did. Despite me living in Edinburgh and working full time, which meant that I wouldn't be able to putt very often, and as all the club competitions and matches are held during the week, the annual subscription at the time, I think, was £15, (laughs) and today it's still only £25. In retrospect, it was one of the best things mum ever did for me because I stopped working in 2013 and by this time, mum was in a home in St Andrews. I was now able to come and visit her during the week and my brother and sister-in-law suggested I should come and visit mum on a Wednesday morning, put in the afternoon, go and see her again in the evening, stay overnight with them putt again on the Thursday morning and visit mum in the afternoon before heading back to my family in Edinburgh. And this was really great because it gave me lots more conversation when I went to visit mum because I could say who I'd putted with, who had been at the club, 
who was asking for her. So my visits were much more enjoyable, and so were hers. Lovely. <laughs> That's a lovely family connection yeah. there. That's great. Thank you. Um, and Eve, you never said, what made you join? I'm interested. What made you join the Putting Club? I wanted to play the Himalayas. Yeah. Nice. Great. <laughs> and yourself, was there a reason? There was a reason. I was shopping in Morrison's that used to be called something else, but it was in that shop, and I dropped a bottle of water on my foot, and I couldn't get my golf shoes on. So I played putting in the putting section of our golf club, because I could get sandals on and walk on the Himalayas with sandals on. So that's what made me want to get on the waiting list at the Himalayas. So if it hadn't been to drop this bottle of fizzy water on my foot, uh, then I might not have started putting, but it's terrific for people as old as we are, including other people, after they're maybe not so good at the golf and can't get around the golf course and the clubs are too heavy. It's marvellous. That's great. Brilliant. Um, so I've done a little bit of research into the history of the Ladies Putting Club um, for my own PhD research, and I was just wondering if you could maybe, Eve, could tell us a little bit more as you're the club archivist, maybe a little bit about the history of the club and how it sort of came to be. It came into being in 1867, <laughs> um, but before then some of the girls had been playing, uh, putting and hanging about at the r &E on the steps of the r &E clubhouse, um, much to the distress, perhaps you could say, of the caddies. Um, and one of those was a Lizzie Byrne and her father David Byrne decided that it would be a good idea to get the girls away from prying eyes <coughs> and the caddies and decided that he would set up a, a club uh, for ladies, girls, his daughter and her friend Mary Nicholson um, and he didn't do it by halves, he got old Tom Morris to lay out a course uh, just on the other side of the Swilkin Burn from the club and away from the caddies where the caddies had been playing near Rusak's um, and uh, they set out a course of 15 holes to start with and they used two clubs, a clique which was a kind of wedge and a putter. Uh, so that was really why it was called golf and why the ladies club was called the ladies St Andrews Ladies Golf Club. Um, I think perhaps because the girls were wanting to play golf and if they called the club a golf club, but of course the dress code in those days made it very difficult to get a full swing and um, the long skirts and so on made it difficult to play in wet conditions. So uh, this turned out to be ideal, and I think it's, there are not many putting courses that were laid out by old Tom Morris that are still in existence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, the autonomy maybe that the, the members of the club had, because my understanding is that Obviously, as you've said, it was very much supported by local gentlemen, like Lizzie Burns' father that um, supported it. Um, but I was wondering if I still had the sort of impression that the women did have a certain level of autonomy within the club. Um, and I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. I think it was as it was in those days that men did, I mean, women didn't go to university or anything in those days, so uh, that men tended to do all the business of the club. And, uh, but nevertheless, David Byrne said that um, a lady should be the president of the club, not himself or anyone, any of the other men. But the r &E were very supportive in those days and still are. Uh, so we're very grateful for the gentlemen of the RE who still take close interest in our club. In the early days, uh, 
they started out by presenting prizes for the competitions. The first competition was in September 1867 and uh, from then on the RNA captain presented a prize every year until World War II, well excluding World War One, actually, mm -hmm. but um, until World War Two, And then even after that, in 1951, uh, Lord Bravison was captain of the RNA and he started it off again by presenting another uh, prize to the ladies. And that went on sporadically until 1970 when they decided to change the format and that the past captains of the RNA would play a match against the ladies butting club every year instead of presenting a prize and so instead of the prizes they uh, now bring some refreshments which are really very Popular. Nice. <laughs> popular. <laughs> Very popular, yes. Nobody drives down that day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the ladies provide the um, food or snacks. And also, in between <coughs> the singles and the foursomes, provide um, a whiskey cake. That was a tradition started out by Marjorie Moncrief. Uh, who used to say that she put in the whiskey with a very shaky hand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is st still a tradition that's continued to this day from 1970. Mm. So That's amazing. And I think that's what's so great about this, is like the traditions that are sort of upheld and continue, and it's just, you know, one of the reasons why I was so keen to get you all on the podcast, is yeah. that the, the club is so unique. Um, the other thing is that, the, 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 of course, the captains of the RNA have been have often been royalty. Mm. Uh, so that the first royal trophy that we got was from Prince Leopold, who was the youngest son of Queen Victoria, in 1876. And then we had, uh, in the 1920s and 30s, the Duke of Kent and the Duke of York. Um, and obviously the the ladies putting club as it became known it was the first ladies golf club in the world but how quickly did other clubs start to follow suit oh well there was another uh, putting golf club down in uh, Devon at Westwood Hoo in the following year and then from then on they rapidly expanded um, including Carnoustie, who claimed to be the first ladies' golf club in the world, but um, we don't think that's true. Um, they're the first ladies' golf club in the world, which still exists as a golf club. Mm -hmm. um, and do you consider the club to be pioneering for the time? Oh, yeah, well, it has to be, yes. It was the first. And, and do you think it was really sort of quite a bold move in ways? No, I think with the RNA backing there was no problem no. about it. Yes, wouldn't you say that with the RNA behind us there was no question that there was anything wrong with it? No. Although there were one or two people who didn't like the ladies occupying part of the links from time to time. but. Um, it seemed like a natural solution to the problem yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yes. And I would say that it probably would have happened, you know, if it didn't happen then, it might have happened a few years later mm -hmm. anyway. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that, that the ladies were already playing there, so it was, it was like you say, a sort of natural yeah. progression. It was bound to happen at some point. But, um, and could you tell us a little bit about the demographic maybe of the, the sort of members in the early days, the early members? Well, in um, the 1870s uh, there were about a hundred members, 61 of whom were single, 11 were married and 27 were associate men. I think that makes 99 actually, but uh, there may have been somebody else. <laughs> 
uh, and only 10 lived in town. Okay. So 10% yeah. uh, lived in town, the rest all came on holiday to town. By 1904, uh, there were 670 members. Uh, 240 were single, 230 married ladies, that is, and 200 men. Now, we don't distinguish these days between ladies who are single and married. No. Uh, they're just ladies. Uh, yeah. But um, it, the no membership declined a little bit after that, and of course the First World War came along, and uh, that was a bit of a disaster. It took some time. Then the Depression, then the Second <coughs> World War, and it wasn't until the 50s that really that it started picking up again. Um, and now we have uh, somewhere between 150 and 200 members. 153? As, as of today, yes. Um, yes, yes. Not all of them play, of course. Because I remember when, when uh, Norma Gardner proposed me, she says, I'll propose you with great delight, but you have to play on a Wednesday because we don't have many playing on a Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I said, no problem, I'll be there. <laughs> Yeah, that was interesting about, obviously, nowadays we don't distinguish between married and unmarried, but at the time that would have been quite significant and it's reflected in the numbers. And as we know from um, Gulp history, you've got well, one that comes to mind straight away is Lady Margaret Scott, who played you know, and won the first three women's amateur championships and then she got married and she no longer played. Um, and I think it was quite common in those days. Not all, obviously, as you can see from the numbers, there were still women that were married that still played and were members of golf clubs. But I think, um, you know, it was quite a significant sort of, um, yeah, distinction there, I would say. Yes, but probably older married yeah. ladies. That, okay. You know, uh, there's this break where they have children or yeah. these days have worked. Uh, and then come back, yeah. and they're still married, but uh, yeah. they well, they would count as married women, of course. Yeah, yes, because of course it is all about. Um, and I touch on this in my own research is that focus on the stage of the importance of sort of stage of life cycle on on um, a woman's participation in golf, and I see it in my own interviews. You know, a lot of women um, taking a break. Um, after marriage and um, you know after sort of they're first married and they have children um, and it's quite common so yeah that's great it's just interesting to hear those those members and I mean astonishing numbers as well I think it was was it 1904 you said about 600 members 670 that's crazy yeah. that's so amazing but they wouldn't all be here at the same time no um, some would be coming for a month yeah. here or a month there yeah or maybe just two weeks yeah Nobody's mentioned widows, and we have quite a few widows in the club. Yeah. And we have two round competitions on a Wednesday for anyone who's fit to play two rounds. But on a Thursday morning, we have a lot of ladies who are well advanced, and they can only play one round. And basically, I think, they come for a coffee and a blether afterwards. <laughs> well, that's nice. And that's, that's great, though, isn't it? Because it means that it's, it's, um, it's a much more social... Um, it's a very, I can tell it's a very social club. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't think anybody would play if there was no coffee and cake. <laughs> 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 right, right. <laughs> I don't play golf, but I'm tempted to join just for the coffee and cake. So, um, no, that's, that's lovely. Um, and you, you covered the, the, I was going to mention that, that I know through my own research that a lot of the members were from elsewhere um, and they were holiday sort of yes. visitors. Yes, uh, well in those days and even in my childhood we used to go on holiday to somewhere and rent a, a house or a cottage for a month mm -hmm. uh, in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> so that um, people like the Tates from Edinburgh yeah. came for a month, six weeks and uh, he was a professor at the university and his son was a very good golfer but learned putting at our club um, and featured in the prizes when he was 10. <laughs> so 
uh, and then became the Open champion three three years running. So, yeah, we have all sorts of claims to fame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And um, I was just wondering as well if you um, could tell us a little bit about the, the St Andrews Children's Club as well. <coughs> well, the, 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 the children started playing. The first competition was in 1871, mm -hmm. uh, but the club didn't start until 1888. Uh, how that happened, I'm not sure, but, but certainly the, the children were playing much earlier than that, and the um, we have photographs of 40, 50 children uh, taken at Petherham Bridge there um, or elsewhere who were members of the, the first children's club. Um, what exactly happened after that? Uh, in the first competition, the, the, there were seven children and they played eight holes. Um, the first match that we played against the children was in 1958. And there's a note in some of the archive that says, much to our joy, and everybody enjoyed it. We beat them, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, and we pl I think we've played the children ever since. And uh, it's always been great until this last year when uh, we thought that we would give them a handicap. <laughs> we gave them three shots. Yeah. And they were all they good. They just, they stopped just. <laughs> they, were all, they were all good, turned out they were all good golfers playing off single figure <laughs> handicaps. <laughs> Absolutely thrashed us. <laughs> so we're not doing that again. <laughs> Is that the same club that used to be called the Children's Holiday Golf Club? Well, it, it, it sort of evolved into that, yes, I think. because yes. they used to play in the school holidays. Yes. And I think they still just play in the school holidays. Yeah, well, it's difficult to tell because in the, in the 50s, the late 50s, we played them in the early 60s in September, which might have been school holidays yes, then, of probably. course. Not sure. You're talking about the chatty holidays. No, it was sort of the... 15th of September. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a very strange date, I thought. Uh, I've just been reading about that. And what uh, time of day did they play at? Was it in the afternoon or <laughs> <didn't> after school? <laughs> <laughs> it was well, a like sunny afternoon. It must have been afternoon. Sunny afternoons were mentioned. Yes. Um, but that's interesting what you mentioned there um, about the being the the holiday club because I interviewed a woman for my PhD who was brought up in St Andrews and I think it would have been roughly probably the 70s she spoke really fondly of the Saint the children's club and going in the holidays and it being I'm pretty sure I may be incorrect here but I think she said that it was free in the summer holidays the club to go for local children that were local to yes, Andrews. to the town. And yeah. I, I think somewhere allowed if they went to school in the town. Anyway, mm -hmm. that would be the time when I was president of the Children's Holiday Golf Club. Oh, Because my sons went as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. And there was a match every year at the end of the season against the RNA members. Okay. And that, they all looked forward to that. And of yeah. course, if you're on the committee, you got to go as well and, and enjoy the coffee and cake afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe a bit of this as well. <laughs> That's great. So it was part then, the children's club was part of the ladies' putting club. It was Well, it started out as started yes. out in, in, the, in the 19th century it was. <laughs> early 20th century it was. Yeah. And, uh, and Eve, could you tell us a little bit about the putting club, the collections of the ladies' putting club, please? collection of trophies and medals, of course, mm -hmm. which are uh, stored by the RNA for us, yeah. and they give us whatever we need each week, and that's right, isn't it? Yes. And um, so there's that as the collection. Other than that, we have um, some written archive mm -hmm. from a the 1950s 
Okay. Or late 40s, perhaps, to the present day. There are one or two bits missing even from that, as far as I can make out. Before that, we seem to have lost our minutes of committee meetings and annual general meetings. Uh, and the only records that we have are those that Marjorie Moncrief typed up from the local papers. Mm -hmm. And she started in 1867 and typed up any report about the ladies' putting club that existed and went right through to 1940. Okay. And we have all that, uh, but it doesn't record anything that the committee was doing. I think the reason for that was that um, the archive was stored by the Royal Bank. Mm -hmm. And while the trophies were retrieved, I suspect that whoever retrieved the written archive uh, gave it to the wrong person and it was thrown out. Mm. But I'm not sure about that. <laughs> that is me making a supposition. But mm. certainly it's not there. But um, great that you still have, you know, you've got that up-to-date record. And I know I've, I've seen some of the, the photographs and things that you have and I saw a few of the things that you have in your collection. Oh yes, sorry, I forgot about the <laughs> photographs. We've got a, a, some lovely old photographs mm -hmm. uh, which have survived and uh, right from the very early days with old Tom Morris outside the club or looking after the ladies or helping them score or whatever uh, and uh, We've got, so we've got photographs of the old marquees that were used before we had the shelter, and then the shelter, which was built in, uh, in 1898 first. Um, although the town council said it had to be one that we could pull down if necessary. Um, never had to pull it down, but uh, it eventually blew down in 1819. 68 and uh, we built a new one uh, and then upgraded that in 1996 so uh, but it's still called the shelter because in the old days of course the marquee which was put up and taken down every day yeah. uh, used to blow down quite frequently Thank you, Eve. I'm going to give you a little bit of a breather from the history of the club and maybe move on to talk a little bit about the sort of present day. Um, so I was wondering then if um, Sylvia and Beverly, if you would like to tell us a little bit about your the positions that you've held and um, sort of your responsibilities, if you like, with those, with those within those roles. Well, when I was um, tournament and match secretary, we had to organise um, entry sheets mm -hmm. so that people put their name up and then if it was a knockout competition you had to do the draw. If it wasn't a knockout competition you had to organise people to send out in pairs, then organise another two to when the cards came in to uh, do the scoring and see who won. Every Wednesday the important uh, trophies were taken from here over to there, handed out to the winners, their photograph was taken holding them and then they were immediately trapped and yeah. brought back here <laughs> because they were so valuable. Yeah. Um, and in actual fact, can I just show you this? Yeah, this is, uh, we've got millions of millions of um, trophies that are valuable. Now, nowadays, if you win a medal, yeah. you get that. Now, this is the old kind of glass. Now, there were other ones. Yeah. I once had a wee glass that was a sherry glass, but I, I must have given it to something. This is cracked, so I don't use it. It just sits in my kitchen window. And that's, it was more, it was plainer with just the, the thing. And this is Beverly and myself and the president of the time went through to Perth and got, um, was it a jeweler's shop or what was it? And gifts, it's gifts yes. shop. We, we designed this. Good and green. Yes, and they, they put our logo on the edge, and that's, that's what you get now if you win a monthly medal. Oh, lovely. If what? you're second or third, you get a voucher. 
But I think, to be honest, I think it won't be long before we do away with these, because I think more and more people now want vouchers so that they can spend on things themselves, because very often it's the same person that wins a lot of the medals. So they've, they've built up a collection of wine glasses. Yes, for example, I have six of those and six of those. <laughs> well, only five You're just boasting now. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm boasting. But that, I don't use that one, so I've only five. <laughs> well, that's great. They're lovely. Yeah, so for our, our listeners, um, there are some really lovely wine glasses um, and they've got the Ladies Putting Club um, sort of... Uh, logo. Correct. Logo, yeah. Lovely, thank you for sharing those. And Beverly, do you want to tell us a little bit about your responsibilities? Yes, yes. Um, as I said earlier, I started putting in 2013, um, still living in Edinburgh. And of course, it was only a matter of a few weeks before the then president said, Oh, you've just retired, haven't you? Wouldn't you like to become secretary of the club? So having not really thought about what I was going to do in my retirement. She caught me at a perfect time and I accepted. Um, little did I know that the records at that time were simply a sheet of paper with a list of names, addresses and phone numbers. However, this gave me a completely clean sheet and I set about building up an Excel spreadsheet for the membership. Everything had been done on paper before and it meant that letters had to go out to all the members. So we were talking about envelopes, letters, forms, stamps, lots of paper, some stamps. But what I did was I used to come through here with my envelopes and walk around the town delivering them. <laughs> and it was great because I got to know all the streets again. I'd been away for 40 years. I mean, my parents were still here, so I still came back and forward. But St Andrews had spread considerably since I left in the 70s uh, and I got to know where people stayed and I got to know the streets mm -hmm. and that was a great learning curve for me, I got to know the town again. But very soon I got email addresses from those who had an email address and things became a lot easier. I also suggested they set up a website, which Sylvia and I did. Um, suddenly the club was moving into the 21st century. And since subsequently from me being secretary, we now have electronic banking as well. So there's been a huge change in the last 10 years. Um, the members wouldn't really notice, um, but the committee does, and it makes things working much, much more easily. Um, the other thing as secretary that I was asked to do was keep two paper minutes of all meetings, as Eve knows, and put one in a clip folder and glue one into a notebook. Oh. And you girls from the museum have probably seen these books. Um, but our wonderful archivist Eve here is rectifying that. She's saving all the minutes onto a disc. And this is another huge step forward for the club. Um, other than that, as secretary, I minuted committee meetings, spring and autumn general meetings, you know, sent out letters for subscriptions, prepared letters for signature by the president, banked the subscription checks, kept membership lists up to date, basically everything that you would expect a secretary to do. Um, committee positions are normally for three years. However, when I took over, we realised that it would soon be our 150th anniversary in 2017. So as the plans had started years ahead, I was asked by the then president to stay on for a fourth year to see the club through the special events. Uh, part of my working life, my job had been in protocol and planning events. So I relished the task and uh, we had a wonderful anniversary. We did. We did, yeah. And the committee Magic. of the time still meets every week for a coffee. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. There were seven, us on the, seven of us on the committee from 2017 who still keep in touch. We're, st we're firm friends. And I, I was just um, recalling that at lockdown, we were so worried that we weren't going to see each other. So we thought we would try and do Zoom. <laughs> and eventually, after about three weeks, we did all seven of us manage yeah. to get on Zoom. There was lots and lots of laughter. 
We all look forward to seeing each other on the screen, although sometimes someone would either be on their side or upside down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, can we talk a little bit about the centenary celebrations mm. what you did? Well, we started off the year uh, by having a... Well, before the start of the year, we decided in conjunction with the Goff Museum that we would love everyone to see our trophies mm. and medals. We have over a hundred wow. silver, mainly silver, beautiful, beautiful things, a whole, um, not just cups, but all sorts of beautiful things. So we, we worked with the Goff Museum for years and put together a beautiful brochure and an exhibition. And we invited Her Royal Highness the Princess Royal to open the exhibition which she agreed to do, and we had a super day at the beginning. I, I think it was in the May of mm. our anniversary year, which kind of started the celebrations off. And she, the Princess Royal was shown round the exhibition, and then she came up stairs for a tea reception um, and met, spoke to every single member who was present. And we had about 120 ladies present that day. And that started off our celebration. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the year, we had a lovely lunch in the Old Course Hotel. And um, Hazel Irvin came and spoke as our guest speaker. Lovely. And Sylvia organised extra um, matches that year. Yes, uh -huh. with the Lynx. That was the first year we played the Lynx. Thistle? Thistle was Club. the first year as well. And we treat that one like the RNA. They bring the alcohol and we give the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also had a mixed club. So we invited yes, all the clubs to right, a mixed yes. event. Yes. Good. And Hannah, can you remember the Yeah, I was I was here um, when the Princess Royal uh, Princess Anne came to the museum and it I was so hugely impressed um, that day as as you mentioned Beverly but how much effort you put in as a committee um, what an effort it was for all of us involved in the exhibition and um, working with you and it was so it was such a rewarding project and I think to be able to celebrate the heritage you know it's a, quite a responsibility when you take on something like this is to celebrate those 150 years and make it make it a memorable experience and that day certainly was and having Princess Anne arrive and all of all of the work that goes into making that happen um <laughs> she herself as you say as you mentioned spoke to every single person pretty much in the whole museum actually <laughs> yeah. she sp spoke to all the staff she spoke to every <coughs> lady who was upstairs in our in our restaurant and it was such a lovely atmosphere it was it was a friendly welcoming um engaging kind of experience everybody went away just uh, on a high because of, of of it and it was it was great to have that recognition and to celebrate your really um remarkable story and as you say your trophies your medals i'm always fascinated by the medals themselves and the the fact they follow the the months and the that's astrological right. symbols right. gold for first silver and bronze for mm -hmm. first second third yes mm -hmm. so when you see a scorpion you think which month is that and uh, <laughs> but no it's uh, it's fascinating and it was great to be a small part of that um, experience and laurie our our senior curator at the time and now head of the department um he worked very hard on on the exhibition and it was one of our, our most popular because it brought in our local community all your members supported it and uh, uh, yeah it was a it was a great experience and it was unique because it was so lovely for us to get all our things together in the one mm. room yes displayed beautifully by the museum staff in mm. fabulous new cabinets with superb lighting mm. we only see these things for as Sylvia said earlier, a couple of hours um, every year, yeah. <laughs> each one, and to have them all together was absolutely wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's great. And um, can we talk a little bit about the the medals, the club medals? I know you touched on that, Sylvia, because you showed us the, the glasses, but what sort of, what are the, 
What competitions is the club involved in? Well, we have a monthly medal from May, June, July, August, September, October. And then we have a spring medal and an autumn medal. And you can win the gold, gold silver, silver and bronze mm -hmm. from each of those. However, there is an extra prize if the lowest scratch score in the spring medal added to the lowest scratch score in the first round of the autumn medal, they get a different prize mm -hmm. at, the, at the end of the season. So, yes, they get uh, a cup or something. I can't remember exactly what it is, but they get, you know, that's presented at the at the autumn general meeting. We have some competitions are knockout through the season. Some are singles, some are foursomes, some are scratch, some are handicap, and all these prizes are presented at the autumn general meeting. So once again, somebody takes them from the museum, takes them and lays them out and they look lovely on the table for the autumn general meeting, and then the, you get your photograph taken with them and you're whisked away at the end, yeah. back under lock, lock and key in here. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We have a comprehensive list of Wednesday competitions. Almost all different, quite a few different formats. That's right, yes. Some are handicap, some are scratch. Some are eclectic, um, some are knockout even. And the knockout mm -hmm. ones can go on for quite a long time. If you're five or six rounds, you're there all day on a Wednesday and then on a Thursday morning, as Sylvia said earlier, it's a shotgun start, 10 o'clock, one round, usually takes about 45 minutes, all finish about the same time and go in for coffee. And we can have between 50 and 60 people playing on a Thursday morning yes. in the height of the summer. Mm -hmm. And Sylvia started this wonderful prize, which is a DNG. The DNG prize. Did me good. <laughs> Done. The no good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so many, it's, all, it's a lot of the same people win the, the prizes every <coughs> week. Yeah. So I thought, well, what about those that, that never win anything? But they're winning something. Well, they have been. I don't know what will happen next year because I won't be in charge. But they were winning. And the, the faces of the people who won these lit up. I won yeah. a prize. That's <laughs> a lovely thing to do. It's great. So it was done, D-U-N-N-E, like me, done, no good. <laughs> so it was shortened to the D-N-G. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. What a great idea. Mm. <laughs> um, and am I right in thinking that there was an, an inaugural uh, match against the museum staff as well? Yes, yeah, Sylvia was, you were here, I think, for... Well, the um, trophies and medals, I think, when I grieving think process. That's right. The girl who should have been here couldn't come that. Mm -hmm. And I came along. And came for a coffee. That's, we came, that's yes. right. I had a lovely coffee See and the a pleather with you. That's right. That's, this is where all I get my best, all, all my best ideas come from, a coffee and a pleather. <laughs> um, and I think, I don't know what, why it entered my head. I think we were talking about a match that was you were going to be playing. Maybe, maybe the Matt, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, so I thought, well, we should have a match yes, because yes. we've worked together for a long time. Right. Um, Kieran, our, our colleague who looks after uh, the collections, he's forever looking out the trophies and medals. So let's have an opportunity to to celebrate our relationship. Mm. And uh, so Sylvia got. I, it was just a mere mention, and then Sylvia came back in a, <laughs> a few days to say yes. We're going ahead. And not only that, we had to arrange it at five o'clock so they weren't missing time here. They didn't have to shut the museum to come and play. <laughs> exactly. They came at five o'clock when they were finished. Um, and it was, a it was such a great evening and it was a nice way for our staff. So we put together teams. Um, I can't remember how many we had on, on each team. but I can't remember that. No, but we had a team from the museum, team from the, the club, mm -hmm. and we... Uh, we did a singles and then a foursomes. foursomes. Mm -hmm. Eve and I were partnered together, weren't we? Yes, that was fun. Um, but we, we we just did the singles and had a little rest after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a it was a wee bit of a raining evening, but the good feeling that came out of that from both sides it was such a lovely evening and again we got lovely you treated us very well with <laughs> wine and snacks um, <laughs> oh, nice. and, uh, but yes we were trounced or as somebody said you came second yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I take that yeah. oh that's great 
Yeah. It's not the winning, it's the taking part. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I should say that when you, we had the um, 150th celebrations, you invited us, um, my colleague Rebecca and I, to compete in one of the one of the matches, and I got my first hole in one. There you go. First yeah. and only <laughs> <laughs> on the Himalayas. So it was, it was a great. It's lovely just to celebrate that our connections. Definitely, I think that's a great idea. It's really nice. One thing we haven't talked about is we have a wonderful tea convener and tea committee <laughs> and they are very, they're key to the enjoyment yes, of the club. Yes, that's the most important part of the um, committee. Who work very hard providing teas and coffees on Wednesdays and Thursdays, biscuits and doing special um, Like a Halloween, yes, for, stuff like that. Yes. Yes. yes, we had a special Halloween mm. thing after our yes. Thursday cutting the last Thursday. And they have to come early in order to get the, the coffee made and the, the, the tables all arranged, the seats arranged and the biscuits on, you know, they have to, they're down about three quarters of an hour before the rest of us to come and do the competition. Yeah. Yeah. And we also have outside caterers come in, we have some lunches, but it's always associated with a, some sort of cutting competition. Yes, the bigger, yes, yeah, the bigger competitions, we've got yeah. a couple I think, yeah. yeah. The other thing we haven't mentioned is the fact that we're all voluntary workers, of course, mm. of the committee, uh, and any profit that we make goes to local charity. That's lovely. Mm. Great. We choose different charities each year, yeah. and uh, these have increased since, uh, I think, 1898 was the mm. first time that we donated to charity oh. to the um, Jubilee Fountain. Where Queen Victoria's Jubilee, there was a fountain which is now out at the Jubilee course, mm. I think, but it used to be n nearer the Bruce Embankment. And uh, that was our first charitable donation, I think. But uh, since then, we've given money every year to different uh, increasing in amounts as time has gone on. And this year, we, we did give some to Ukraine as well. Yes. Um, brilliant. And um, are you open to more members? Is there a system still in place for members? There's a, no. always a system <laughs> and you have to be proposed <coughs> and seconded. Okay. <coughs> we've, in my time, we've, oh, there's always been a waiting list and for about seven years we didn't open the waiting list at all because more and more we find that people are playing on Wednesdays and Thursdays. When I first took over as secretary, we had over 200 members, but only we would see about, you know, 50 to 80. The rest of them didn't take part. Now, the majority do play on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So, as I said earlier, we've got 153 members. We've currently got 35 on the waiting list, and it's closed at the moment. Oh, well. It's very popular. <laughs> very popular. <laughs> Some people will tell you they waited 10, 12 years yeah. to get into the yeah. club. Yeah. You can't propose or second anyone until you've been a member yourself for five years. Right. Okay. And you can only propose or second someone one at a time. You mm. can't do it for two people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And of course, the putting green can only support uh, 18 holes. Mm -hmm. So that limits the number of people that can play in a competition. And the shelter can only yes, house yeah, for uh, fire regulations <coughs> about Health and safety, 50 yeah. to 60 people 60 at a time. 60 is the maximum. 60 is the maximum. Okay. But not to be disheartened because the course, the Himalayas, is open to the public as yes. well. So you can come and have a shot yeah. without being a member. Oh, yes. <laughs> It's probably the most popular course in St. Andrews. <laughs> One of the cheapest yes. forms of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yes, it's good for kids. You know, people on holiday with families that they, you know, they can. And the nine-hole course is open to juniors, you know, up to the age of six. Yeah. So even little ones can that's play. Brilliant. Mm. That's great. I know I've still not been, and I keep saying that I need to come along. I know it, it needs to happen. Shocking. It's shocking. It's terrible. <laughs> 
My, I always use COVID as my excuse, but I feel like now I can no longer use <laughs> We're no. so far on now that I can no longer use COVID, but um, yes, it's, it's something that I need to do. I've had to go on the driving range, so my next thing is the Himalayas, because I'm not a golfer, so um, it's all very new to me, as my listeners know. But um, just to finish off, I was wondering if we could all just, you could all tell um, our listeners maybe what it is that you enjoy most about being a member of the club it's the friendship mm-hmm. fresh air exercise maybe to a lesser degree the competitiveness <laughs> but definitely the camaraderie great and yourself Eve? I would say the same because I just play on a Thursday Yeah. but I play with somebody different every week and it's just great because you meet people that you haven't maybe met before or that you don't know very well and you play a whole round of putting with them and it's great to get to know different people Uh, but since being on the committee I have to confess that I get a lot of pleasure out of looking after the archive yeah that's great I would say they've said it all (laughs) and I could just mention that on a Thursday morning when I joined at first People came with their friends and played with their friends. And when I arrived the first Thursday morning, who am I going to play with? I didn't, I didn't know anybody to say, do you want to play? They were all in groups of two or three or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now it's changed. When you come, you're given a partner. And that's the good thing that Eve said, that yeah. you play with somebody different every week and you're yeah. meeting a whole range. It does sound like a great social club and lots of, you know, Well, thank you all very much for joining me today. It's been really great to have you all here. And thank you to Hannah as well um, for joining us. Um, Pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for the coffee. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed this final episode of season one of the Women's Golf History Podcast. Thank you to all my guests who have made this podcast possible and of course to all listeners for tuning in. Please continue to like and subscribe. All the links to where you can find us are in the podcast description. Feel free also to get in touch if you have any questions, comments or recommendations for future episodes. Finally, Be sure to stay tuned for updates in the new year. Bye for now.